The teaching for this evening is from Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. This is God's word. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we uh, continue in our study of Galatians, last week we began with chapter 3. And uh, we're going to continue in that same passage of uh, verses 1 through 14. Tonight we looked at verses 1 through 5 last week, but we're going to do 6 through 14 uh, this evening. And... um, but I wanted you to have the whole passage in your uh, worship folder so you could uh, refer to it as we make our way through this evening. And as we've been saying every single week, uh, Galatians is a letter about gospel freedom. It's freedom from trying to prove yourself and actually not just freedom from, but also freedom to become the man or woman that God has already declared you to be. Through faith in Jesus. It's not just a freedom from, but a freedom to. A freedom from an old life and a freedom to enter into a new one. And the issue that prompted Paul to write this letter was the influence of some who were teaching a gospel of faith in Christ plus something else. Uh, They weren't out and out against Paul. They actually had some common components uh, as far as we can tell But that's where it ended. It was faith in Christ plus something else like circumcision and adherence to various Jewish religious and cultural practices. They were saying, yes, faith in Jesus is good. Yes, you need need that, but you also must become Jewish. You must take on uh, all of the requirements of the Old Testament. And what that looked like most um, in its most regular daily form was... Uh, various food laws and um, certain uh, religious practices like circumcision. And the essence of Paul's concern, though, 
is really captured in verse 3, in the, in the verses just before what we're going to look at tonight. And he asks a question among a series of questions at the beginning here of chapter 3. And the question he asks is, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Now, implied in Paul's question is that when the Galatians first heard the gospel and believed what they heard, they were given all they would need to live free lives in communion with God and in fellowship with one another. He, he, he summarizes it in very short order as they had received the Spirit. For Paul to, to receive the Spirit is to become a Christian, is to become united to Jesus and implied in Paul's question here is that they had been already given everything that they needed. Therefore, in this one question, Paul is teaching us a truth that we must never forget. That the gospel of grace, it not only saves, it also transforms. It isn't a dose of divine help that you must then make good on. Simply put, Paul's telling us that you, you never leave the gospel behind, which is what we looked at last week. And this is precisely, though, what was happening. Is the Galatians had heard Paul preaching the gospel. They had believed it. They had had a, an experience of grace. And then they were met with other versions of this gospel. And they began to question whether or not it was really the case. And for Paul, what that ended up looking like was the churches in Galatia were beginning to think, Jesus is fine as far as he goes. But if these other people are right, then it's up to me to make this all work. And this is precisely what was happening. And uh, they had brought into what, um, in, in our day and time, a New York Times writer David Brooks would call the culture of the meritocracy. The culture of the meritocracy. That is, here is, here are churches who had heard the gospel, and yet what they were doing was they were buying into not just that Jesus was enough to rescue them, but they bought into a way of living with God that, that meant they had to continue to merit his favor. And this culture of the meritocracy, whether it's religious or irreligious, it, it's really an approach to life that's based on earned success. It's based on us, our talents, our achievements. It's what Paul has in mind when he refers in our passage tonight in, in verse 10, all who rely on the works of the law. That's what he has in mind here, that the culture of the meritocracy, it stands in total contrast to what Paul says we already know. And if you remember from a couple weeks ago, what we already know, Paul has told us in verse 16 of chapter 2, when he says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And here's the question. Do you know that? Not just in your mind, not just even theologically, but do you know the deep, lasting peace of God's free grace, of God's justifying grace that sets you in a right relationship with him. Not because you right now are right, but because God is righteous. 
And in Christ, he takes people who are not right and he puts them in a right relationship with himself. Do you know the peace of God's forgiveness, of his grace? Perhaps you've heard that verse from chapter 2 that we know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Christ. And perhaps you may have even uh, memorized it. But I wonder how many of us come in here this evening and we're, we're still deeply confused. Not necessarily maybe mentally, but in your heart. There's spiritual dissonance almost every day where you have a feedback loop in your life, in your mind, where you're saying again and again the question Am I okay? Am I okay? Will I be okay? How can I know if I will be okay? What what should you do? Well, thankfully, what Paul does for us in this passage that we're looking at tonight, he recognizes our situation. He recognizes that in the lives of the, the folks in Galatia, that they are confused, that they are full of spiritual dissonance, That there isn't peace, there isn't joy, there's angst. There's human effort beginning to run over the good news of the gospel. And so Paul, he in chapter 3 is is attempting to dismantle what what I'm calling this culture of the meritocracy. And last week we noticed that he begins first by looking at the experience of the Galatians. And that's where Paul asked them this series of questions about, did you not receive the Spirit? And did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? And so Paul, he continues his argument about uh, dismantling these, the, those who are opposing him and his gospel. And, and he, by beginning with their, their experience of hearing it and believing it, They had experienced the power of Jesus uniting his life to our lives, to their lives, by the the Spirit. That's what it means to become a Christian. Christ uniting his life to yours by his Spirit so that you are now in Christ and Christ is in you. To be united to Christ means you have a whole new identity and you have a whole new future. Remember what we we looked at, we saw Paul say, describing his own experience, when he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, this is Paul's first assault on our human effort, on the culture of the meritocracy. This is his first assault against our lived lives under the tyranny of our own self-validation. He says, through faith you are in Christ. That means you are covered by him and his righteousness. And then he says, Christ is in you. The life of Jesus now lives in you. You are empowered not by your grit, not by your willpower, not by your determination, but by Jesus who lives in you. You no longer have to struggle to be free 
In the gospel, you are now free to struggle in the strength of Jesus. And so Paul continues. He moves on in in our passage tonight from the experience of the Galatians and hearing this gospel, and he moves on to anchor that experience in the Scriptures, in the story of the Scriptures, and in what the Scriptures teach. And as we're going to see, when we look at the story of the Scriptures, namely the story of Abraham, and we look at what the Scriptures teach about the, the absolute contrast between law and faith, where we are led to is to Christ and the freedom that he's won for us. So it's worth asking as we look at this passage tonight, which uh, begins here in verse 6, when Paul says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Why does Paul all of a sudden turn to this story of the Old Testament? What's the point of doing that? Well, the most probable answer to that is that Paul is actually taking up arguments that his opponents were using against him from the Old Testament scriptures. And so what Paul is doing as an expert theologian and who understood the gospel in light of the Old Testament is he's teaching us how to read the scriptures. And one of the things that he's teaching us is that the gospel that he preached which we already saw, did not come from man. He wasn't taught it from any human being, but it was given to him by Jesus. It was utterly independent from anybody else. What we're also seeing, though, is that same gospel is the same gospel we see throughout the whole Scripture. He actually says here that God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. So let's look at Abraham's story to look at how the story of Scripture helps to dismantle uh, the culture of the meritocracy in our lives. Remember, the Galatians are struggling. The gospel they first heard from Paul is under attack, and they're confused. Does God really accept me by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, or do I have to do something else to earn his favor? See, sometimes the best way to address a spiritual question or a struggle is with a story. Jesus did this all the time with his parables. And Paul does it here to show us what he means, what it means to believe the gospel. He takes us back to this story of Abraham. And he quotes for us two very, very significant verses in the story of the scriptures, especially in Abraham's life. And the first one he refers to is there in verse 6, describing Abraham He says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, there has been a ton written about these verses and for good reason because what we're being told here is that it's possible to be loved and accepted by God while we ourselves are still sinful and imperfect just like Abraham was. In other words, faith is taking God at his word regardless of your circumstances or your track record. Now, if you had a chance to, you should go back and read Abraham's story. It begins in Genesis 12 and into the early uh, Genesis chapter 22 or so. It's a remarkable story of the way of faith 
And as you read it, what you begin to discover is that here is a man who God called to follow him, to leave everything that he knew. And Abraham said, I'll go. God says, I want to bless you. Abraham says, I think that sounds great. (laughs) I'll go where you want me to go. And God says, and through you, I'm going to bless the nations, the whole world. And at first, that sounds great. But what happens, though, is after a number of years, uh, Abraham begins to wonder, what about this promise that God had made and I've been waiting for? I'm not so sure it's going to come anymore. And so then in chapter 15, he, uh, he cries out to God. And he says, you've given me no children. And in response, God takes Abraham outside and says, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then God said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, the key thing I want you to notice here is that Abraham is also, it's in his story, that the sign of circumcision is given. This unique sign for God's people that marked them as his special people. And that didn't happen, though, until Genesis chapter 17. Paul is telling us about events in Abraham's life that come before the very things the Christians in Galatia were being told they had to do to be right with God. And yet... What Abraham's story is telling us and Paul is trying to show us is that even according to the Old Testament, when God makes promises, we receive those promises and are changed by those, prom- by those promises by faith and not by keeping the law. In other words, as Paul tells us, Abraham's story preaches the gospel to us beforehand. The Abraham story teaches us what it looks like to be a person of faith. A person who trusts in what God has said and what God has done. And here, Paul is showing and using the story of Abraham to show that, therefore, because Abraham is this man of faith, this person in God's story that God made promises to, not on the basis of his performance, but on the basis of God's commitment to him, That means anyone who believes, like Abraham, is included in that blessing, in those promises. Not on on the basis of their performance, but on the basis of God's promises. So with Abraham's story as a backdrop, Paul moves into verses 10 to 12, and he tells us, he begins to walk us through a little bit of a Bible study. After introducing us to the story of Abraham, He begins now to draw from various passages in the Old Testament to explain to us why is it that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Christ. He shows us from Scripture why relying on our efforts must give way to relying on faith. So let's look here in verses 10 to 12. In these two verses... Paul spells out from the Old Testament essentially two ways to live. Look in verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, 
Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. But then look at verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. So for Paul, there, there, there are only two ways a person can live. You will either rely on works of the law, which by which Paul means your own effort to gain either God's approval or anybody's approval who's watching to justify your existence. Or you will live, you will rely on faith. That is, not yourself. You will build your life on someone outside of yourself. And for Paul, those are the only two options. And in detailing these two ways to live, he delivers a death blow to any attempt by anyone to try to live by relying on our ability to obey God. And so, to make his point, he quotes here from Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26. When he says in verse 10 there, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. The implication he has here is that the implication is that no one can keep this law, that everyone falls short of it. And therefore, to fail at any point in loving God and loving your neighbor is to come under God's just condemnation. For breaking his law. Paul's conclusion is we are all under God's curse, his displeasure, his condemnation, for we have all failed, and not just in our actions, but from the heart. So when Paul here says, in, uh, he says here in verse 12, the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. What he, he is drawing a total antithesis between the way of faith and the way of the law. What he's telling us is everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. That all of us on our own merits are under God's curse, under his judgment. Now, this is really bad news, and I realize it is not a popular thing to talk about God's judgment, his just wrath against sin, his displeasure with all the ways that you and I attempt to build our lives on anything or anyone other than him. But we have to let this bad news do its work. Without the bad news, there simply is no good news. And in fact, without the bad news, we we remain self-deceived. Without the bad news, there is no freedom from that internal murmur of self-reproach. There is no freedom from angst. There is no freedom from anxiety. There is no freedom from worry. It is with the bad news that freedom comes. No matter how hard you try, you cannot rescue yourself. This is not only true for the person outside of Christ, it's true for the person who is in Christ. We are helpless and hopeless to rescue ourselves, and the more we try to fix the problem on our own, the more condemned and burdened we become. We must all sit with Paul 
here until he, it breaks our pride and self-deception. Paul here is trying out of love to bring us low in order to bring us high. We have to be brought low before we can be lifted up. And so in order to help us do that, he actually shows from Scripture again that our what I've, I've called in recent weeks our validating performance record has to be abandoned. And he says here, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And then he quotes from another passage when he says, The one who does them shall live by them. He's quoting here from Habakkuk chapter 2, one of the minor prophets. And he's also quoting an opposite to that verse in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5. And he shows, he quotes these passages, again, to make this contrast between relying on works and relying on faith. And he does it to show the way out, to show the way out from under God's curse, that it must come from outside of us. This is always true, and it's very important to remember, whenever you come up against God's judgment and justice in the Scriptures, very nearby, if not in the very same verse, you will always find the way out. You will always find the path to freedom. Because God never pronounces judgment on sin and on humanity without also proclaiming good news. So he, and here Paul is beginning to show us the way out. He's showing us two things at the same time, that all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, that you cannot rescue yourself, but at the very same time we are told, but God, who is perfectly just and merciful, he proclaims to us a way out, a way to freedom, and it's the way of faith and not of merit. So let's look at verses 13 to 14, and where Paul's use of the story of the Old Testament with Abraham and his teaching us from the scriptures the contrast between relying on works of the law and relying on faith and that one leads to death and condemnation and judgment and the other one leads to life and freedom and hope and joy. Let's look at where this takes us in verses 13 to 14. And to do that, I want to ask you, as at this point, are you tired Are you confused? How are you doing spiritually? Are you angry? Are you bitter? Are you defeated? Are you fed up? Do you you live in a perpetual state of spiritual dissonance? If so, I want you to hear that there is good news for you. Look in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. See, this is the gospel. Jesus takes your curse upon himself. In the gospel, a great exchange has taken place. On the cross 2,000 years ago, Jesus willingly took upon himself your curse, your condemnation, your failures, in order that you might go free. As Paul has said elsewhere, he says, for our sake God made Jesus to be sin, 
who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And to prove this point for us from the scriptures, he actually quotes again from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 21, verse 23, where he says, Curse is everyone who is hanged on a tree. This is a passage that refers to a criminal deserving death hanging out in the open for all to see. Jesus hanging on a tree outside Jerusalem, hung there not merely condemned by Rome and the Jewish leaders, but cursed, rejected by God for sinners. Therefore, in the the quote that I put on the front of your worship folder tonight by Martin Luther, what Paul is telling us here is, in, in Martin Luther's words, Thou, Christ, art my sin and my curse. Or rather, I am thy sin, thy curse, thy death, thy wrath of God, thy hell. And contrarywise, thou art my righteousness, my blessing, my life, my grace of God, and my heaven. So what do you do with news like this? How do you respond? Well, that brings us back again to Abraham, the man of faith, as Paul calls him, who shows us in what Eugene Peterson describes as how God turns a life of getting into a life of receiving. That is beautifully put. And those are two opposite ways of living. And we are going to struggle always with a life of getting. That is the default mode of the human heart. A life of getting. But the gospel promises to you a life of receiving. Of receiving grace, of mercy, of forgiveness. Of help. Of power to change that doesn't come from you, but from your union with Jesus. A life of getting changed into a life of receiving. See, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And the blessing promised to Abraham has now been fully revealed for all people from all tribes, nations, and tongues to receive and enjoy through faith in Christ. And in verse 14, we read about this. Jesus became a curse so that in him, the blessing of Abraham might Come to the Gentiles, that is to us, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So the, the blessing of Abraham brings us back to where we began last week when Paul asked, did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? We're back again to our union with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You see, that is the blessing of Abraham that God promised to him ages ago. That is the blessing of Abraham. That's the good news of the gospel. That in Jesus, he became a curse for us so that we might receive the blessing of God. Now, while Paul uses different language than we might, he still is speaking to the same culture of meritocracy that you and I live in each day, a culture of getting. 
not a culture of receiving. A life of getting, not a life of receiving. A culture of human effort and achievement, the freedom from which must come from outside of ourselves in order that he might unite his life to our lives so that the old would die off and the new life of faith would flourish. That is the good news, that Jesus became a curse for us so that you might flourish in God's blessing in fellowship with Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would you would teach us even through this passage how to read and understand your scriptures, that therein we find the good news of the gospel, that Jesus became a curse for us, and that this isn't a new gospel, it's a really old gospel, and it's woven throughout the whole story of your scriptures. Father, we ask that as we soak in these scriptures, as we see how you work, as we see your promises come to their, their fullness in Christ, Father, we ask that you would help us to believe you, to trust you, and to receive and to rest upon Jesus alone, knowing that through faith, by your Spirit, we are in Christ and he is in us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.